Hello, podcast world. We're glad to have you back. This is the White Stones Movement podcast number two. And if you listen to the first one, you know that I shared my testimony in that recording. But now is the fun part. We get to invite people in to hear their testimonies and hear how God has reshaped their identity and open their eyes to who we really are, and that's children of God. So today, I am so excited to introduce you to a very close friend, Kia Vower. Hello, Kia. How are you? Hi, Bo. I'm excited to have you here. So a little bit of background of our relationship. Um, I guess it was almost two years ago that um, you and your husband, John, brought Mosaic to peace right? Two years ago? It's been about two years. Yeah. So I lead the youth music here at Peace and John and Kia, I, I, I really, I just sat down with John and I don't know, something just clicked and he was looking for someone to play some music during Mosaic. So I hopped down there and really that kind of just started our relationship of, you know, me helping in that capacity in, in y'all's ministry, but then kind of came full circle when you and John came to help with youth ministry, <laughs> and God works in mysterious ways, and really, it's just been super helpful to have y'all pouring into my life, and I'm really excited just to have you on the podcast today. It's great to be here. We've known each other, and we were talking before this just kind of as I was setting up the podcast, we've known each other for a while, but it, it wasn't until more recently that I heard of, um, Kia's testimony and kind of her story and where she's been. So I would love for you to talk about maybe just how your upbringing and how that and how that shaped maybe how you viewed yourself and just just give a, give the people a little bit of background of, of of where you came from and how God has used that to get you to where you are now. Right. So, wow, um, I'm a military brat. I like to say, quote unquote, (laughs) I enjoy that title. But um, I was born in Madrid, Spain, 1975. um, And my father was a staff sergeant in the United States Air Force. And my mother, she was from Columbus, Ohio. And she just kind of lived as the only child. And they married and moved to Madrid, Spain from Columbus, Ohio, and had me. (laughs) So basically, we just kind of checkerboarded the U.S., and that had everything to do with, you know, his career. And then finally, he was discharged from the military, and um, I pretty much grew up with uh, dealing with the fact that he had post-traumatic stress, which we didn't know that then, Mm -hmm. but we had that going on. He's from Chicago, Illinois, and grew up in the projects. We had that going on, and he had so many identity crises that we just kind of felt the brunt of that. And so it was a very abusive home. He beat my mom consistently. And me and my brother, I have an older brother who's five years my senior. We just grew up experiencing that. Mm -hmm. And so with moving around all the time, not having the roots, it really affected the way in which I related to the world. Right. Right. And so always leaving friends behind. We didn't have social media. We didn't have (laughs) anything but snail mail and uh, a phone number (laughs) that maybe, you know, but they, some of the families were in the military. So it wasn't guaranteed that they they were moving too. They were moving around too. And so I grew up with that um, experience. Right. And 
And, you know, that's, that's so hard to have those moving relationships in and out. Because part of my testimony was just the, the rooted, I call it my three F's, my faith, my friends, and my family. Right. And because I had that consistent friend base, I can't even imagine how it would be moving and what that does, especially at that age. And I guess it was 15 yes. when you decided to leave home. It was, and by that time I'd already experienced at least 13 different schools. And so, yeah, I left home at 15 um, under some pretty stressful circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, My father, in addition to having the post-traumatic stress, was a drug addict, intravenous drug addict. And so he had that going on as well. He was going through a moment of withdrawal where he had lost his job. It was just the dead of winter, and I just remember the hopelessness our family felt. And we had a pretty explosive moment, um, which happened periodically, especially when he was going through withdrawal, where he threatened to kill me. And it scared the life out of me. And I left about two weeks after that, I moved from Dallas, Texas to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And I had quite a ride for about eight years after that, uh, just trying to find out who I was, what was gonna happen, to my life and it was pretty traumatic so what I take from that is that you were always searching for where your identity was it wasn't ever really rooted because you because like like how you lived your life you were always moving around right and you were in search and so you kind of took the bull by the horns when you were 15 you're like I this is chaotic I need to leave and you went you went to Atlanta like you said so I think this is this is like is the start of kind of like when you told me the story, I was like, wow, that I, I, I didn't even know some of that stuff was going on here. So talk about that. What, what happened in Atlanta and how did that, how did that search for identity kind of lead you into kind of a dark place? Right. And just to back step just a little bit, I grew up in church. Mm-hmm. And so we were in the Bible Belt, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Dallas, Texas, we went to some of the most prominent ministries at the time in the charismatic movement that was. And so prior to that, about seven years old, I did have an encounter with God. Mm. And I kept that in my heart, but there was a part of me that felt like maybe God, maybe he had different rules for different people. Sure. And so by the time we fast forward to 15 years of age, when I left home, I left everything that I learned about God because I felt like he failed me. Mm-hmm. I felt abandoned. I felt like, how is it that God could love me, yet my father could be this way towards me? Well, and I think that's a huge thing that people do. I, I recently read a book by Louis Giglio, and it said that God is not a reflection of our earthly father, which many of us think he is. Many of us tie who God is to who our father is. So it's not that God is a reflection of our earthly father. He's the perfection of our earthly father. That's good. And I think that's so huge, especially in young women today. Yes. You know, who your father is, is not who God is. Exactly. And we, and we need to be reminded of that more often because I think we hear the word father and we associate that with God and that can evoke negative emotions from people, but to realize that God is always loving you and he's always in pursuit of you. Yes. So you're in Atlanta now. Yes. And you've kind of left that behind. You you feel like God abandoned you and you're like, okay, done with that. You kind of had right. almost like a Jonah moment yes. where you're like, 
I need to just fight my own path here. Right. It's my own battle, which is going to come full circle because I feel like God's going to have your whale moment that brings you back uh, <laughs> right. onto his destiny here in a minute. But so tell us what happened in Atlanta. Where did you find yourself? Because I think that there's power in that testimony. Absolutely. Well, I had followed a grown man who was 27 years of age to Atlanta. He was already living there. And basically, I lived with him for a brief moment. And he kicked me out. And I met some other people Mm -hmm. who were in the entertainment industry. And I ended up living with two guy groups. That's 12 men. And I became a roadie. And they told me that the only way that I would be able to live there with them and be taken good care of was that I offered benefits. And that's exactly what I did. And so it was pretty troubling because that's not the first inclination of you know a young lady right. to be comfortable with the situation mm-hmm. like that. And I was extremely uncomfortable. But that's when the drug use began because I felt like, who else is going to take care of me? How else will I make it in life outside of to just figure out a way to survive because I was running away from a father who had a history of abuse and drug use and threatened my life. This was the safer solution, but it wasn't safe at all. And so um, it really baffled me who I was. And the thing that did resonate within my life were some of the messages that I heard and some of the people who did speak life over me. Mm -hmm. And so from time to time, I would think about those things, but I couldn't make sense of them because of my situation overshadowed what I was told. And it even overshadowed the longing in my heart to connect with God Mm. because I felt like, well, God's not going to want to connect with me anymore, not because of all the things that I'm doing. Did you almost feel trapped? Yes. In Atlanta? I did. I did. I felt trapped. I felt hopeless. I felt like, is this it? You know, what am I going to do? It was a very confusing experience. And um, one of the things that I did on my downtime was I spent a lot of time in libraries because at 15, without having graduated from high school, there were truancy officers. And so they don't look for you in the library, by the way. So, <laughs> good hiding place. It's good hiding place. Don't take that advice, anyone who might be listening. But I, I just kind of went into my own world. And I made up a persona to get through what I was experiencing. And so I became a not very convincing, tough girl who basically internally, I, it's like I must have had a death wish because all the uh, circumstances I found myself in were all very dangerous, all very dangerous. And so after being passed around and getting sick of that lifestyle, um, I did have an, a moment of escape. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that these people were ever holding a gun to my head, but in the mind of a 15-year-old around entertainers, um, I was being introduced to top name entertainers. I was going to industry parties. They were giving me money. They were giving me shopping trips. They were taking care of my needs. And so I felt, I mean, I was eating at fine restaurants. I was staying in the Ritz Carlton, the Hotel Nico. I was taking trips. So I felt special. Mm -hmm. And I felt, even though I felt disgusting, I also began to think, well, this 
this is the life, you know, at least I'm not on the streets, you know, and so it kind of kept me there longer than mm-hmm. I, I wanted to. And then finally I decided it was too much. Um, and I thought I was upgrading and I decided to strip because I'm like, well, no one will be in control of me here. I'm in control of myself. And so I just went from bad to worse. Well, and, and I, I think what you're saying, it, it resonates with me so much is that we're always searching sometimes in the, all the wrong places. And, you know, the devil, he's cunning. And he knows ways to trick us. Right. And even though you said you felt disgusted, mm-hmm. you were still getting some, what the world would say, and even what I would say, some cool benefits, nice yeah. dinners, money, going to parties. And it's like the the negatives were being almost distracted from yes. by, these, by these other events that were taking place. And it kind of mutes our ears mm-hmm. to what's really going on. It dampens the amount of awareness to like oh this is not where I'm supposed to be searching for my identity like I'm right. searching in all the wrong places I mean my testimony certainly comes from a different place than yours I wasn't dealing with that but I, I know what it's like to be looking in all the wrong places right. and then you kind of have that aha moment so God's always pursuing us right always always yes. so so let's talk about that you kind of went from 15 you're in Atlanta. You're, you know, like you said, being passed around. But you were being used. Yes. I'll say it. Yes. You were being used by a bunch of entertaining men. Right. To go to these parties, to, you know, wh- what what else were they doing? Like, I mean, I think there's some oh, specifics. I mean, you, there was drug use involved. Yes. And then that led to stripping. Yes. And, you know, these are all things that, that you just... I, I know based on our conversations and what you've said today that you just felt trapped there. Yes. But, you know, like we said, God is always pursuing us. God is a good God. He's always. It, well, and he's always working for the good of those who love him. Even though we try to run off the path, he's always bringing us back in, whether we know it or not. Right. And it's what, you know, it says in Revelation 3.20 that here I am, I stand at the door and not. Yes. It's on us to answer the door, right? Right. So how did God in his pursuit of you, open his eyes to bring you back into his, into his kingdom. I mean, you're, you were always there. God is always welcoming you in, but how did he open your eyes to realize that that's the truth? Well, the funny thing is in the midst of even working at a nightclub in Atlanta, out of the most popular one, I remember the manager coming up to me one night and saying, you're not supposed to be in here. And I remember being angry at him, like, I need money like the next girl. But he, the look that he had, he was a senior citizen, and you could tell he had been around. And he just kept telling me, you don't, you don't need to be in here. Mm. And I remember that it literally haunted me. And it angered me because I'm like, of course I do. But when I look back on it, that was the voice of God. Oh, for sure. Saying, I, I'm a, no. I'm a huge believer in the fact that you know, God still speaks to us today, right? but God uses people a yes. lot. God uniquely places people in our lives that kind of help construct our path in in his divine alignment. Absolutely. Like, I don't think it's any mistake that the vowers are in my life, right? Like, that we're even sitting here together today, that Absolutely. whoever's listening is listening today. Absolutely. There's, there's divine intervention in that. 
And so this guy comes to you and he's telling you, you're not supposed to be here. Yes. And, and you're like, yes, I am. <laughs> I need that money. Right. But at the same time, that kind of probably, you know, was peeling off layers that opened your eyes to the truth. It penetrated my soul when he said that. And that's mm-hmm. how I know it was from God because it haunted me. I remember going to bed and thinking, why would he say that to me? And so it's almost like waking up from sleep and then trying to figure out where you are and making sure, okay, I just came out of dream. Okay, here's where I am. But the effect that that had on me, because you know we like to run. When God is pursuing us, we like to run the other way. And so I just went harder. Uh, I decided to, you know, take things to the next level, which had a very adverse effect on me mentally. Mm -hmm. So there's that component. And I ended up having a nervous breakdown in 1997. Mm. And that was my rock bottom because I was no longer in control, so to speak, of what I was doing. Now, the memories, the situation, the trauma of the different circumstances I had found myself in took their toll. Right. And so there's the devil on one hand who offers you this forbidden fruit. And then once you partake of it, now you got to pay up. Right. And it's a slippery slope. It is a slippery (laughs) slope. But because of God's mercy and because of Mm -hmm. his goodness, he allowed that slippery slope to lead me right to the foot of the cross. And so when I had a nervous breakdown, I was in Elizabeth, New Jersey. I went to the Elizabeth Emergency Care Unit and received a diagnosis that really changed my life. It added more shame. And now I had to come to grips with what I had been through, where I was, and I had to figure out, now who am I? Now I've got a label. Now, you know, so I kind of, it was one of those things where, you know how Moses, when he <laughs> killed the Egyptian? Right. And then the Hebrews were like, oh, who do you think you are? You know, are you going to do to us, you know, what you did to that poor Egyptian? Yeah. It's like mockery. It was just like, I felt like the enemy was at this point now mocking me. Sure. You know, because I remembered and- my, my relationship that I had with God prior to leaving. I remember youth pastors speaking into my life and all of that. But by the time that diagnosis took place, I felt like there was nothing left good to be spoken of. And so my brother and his wife allowed me to live with them. They came to New Jersey. Uh, They brought me back to Dallas where I told myself I would never return to. And they basically nursed me back to health. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment that I encountered God again, and he delivered me from everything that I had experienced, but it was a fight. It was a slow moving forward. It was a slow process. So what was that encounter like? Was it a one aha moment, or do you feel like it was something that was like God was pulling over your heart continually, and then it just clicked? Well, at that point in 1997, Coming back to my brother's house and being introduced to rules again, Mm -hmm. yet in a mental state where I'd regressed to a six or seven year old, and I was 23 years of age on heavy medications, Risperdal, Lithium, Haldol, trying to get better. My brother told me one morning, he said, I know you've been through a lot, but we're going to do it like we used to do it. 
you're going to go to church all the time with me. Mm. Is that okay? My brother's voice was the voice that I trusted throughout my entire life. So I said, yeah, that's fine. And I went knowing that my brother was telling me to do the right thing, but feeling like I'm not sure. <laughs> right. I'm not sure about this. Right. But you had to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And because of who God is, it's like the woman who was with the issue of blood. And the word of God says that she could in no wise lift herself up. But when she was able to reach out and touch the hem of his garment and she was made whole, that was me. That was me in that state mm. that I was made whole by returning to church mm. and experiencing the worship. Worship did a lot for me. And experiencing the worship and being able to just let God heal me. And he embraced me in such a way, Bo, that it reassured me that he was not my earthly father. Right. He was my heavenly father, and he was able to restore me and that I could trust him. So my trust for men, it came back through God. Right. And, and honestly, like, the thing that I think is so overlooked by a lot of people that find themselves falling off the of God's path for their life is forgiveness and yes. restoration. You feel like sometimes you're so far gone that how could God ever forgive me? How could God, you know, restore me? Right. Like like you said, Moses had the label of murderer, but look how he was used. Yes. And you had this label yes. that you found yourself under, and God was restoring you. In yes. that, and I think the thing we need to remind ourselves of is that God loved us so much that He sent His only Son yes. to die on a cross. And the thing that I think people think, oh, that's that's great, John three sixteen. I've heard that verse. You know, Jesus came to die for all of us, and yeah, that's true. He did come to die for everyone. But the way I read it is that if you, if Kia Vower was the only person right. on this planet Earth. God would have still sent his son to rescue you. Right. So we think of it corporately a lot, but we have to think of it individually because that's how we find our identity as a child of God. Right. And when you find your identity in that, that's when the healing and the restoration comes through. So like you said, you started experiencing this through going to church, through yes. worshiping, through seeking out God. So how did believing this new truth, this new identity that you were finding in Christ... How did that really change the way you just lived? It changed everything. And first of all, I had to accept and realize that, number one, I couldn't earn what I received. Mm. I did not earn my salvation because I came home and went to church with my brother. Right. I earned nothing. Mm -hmm. I received the gift of salvation because God loved me so much. Yeah. And it was so evident by the healing my heart received by the nights that were no longer sleepless, by the love that I felt in my heart from only Christ. And I felt that through people. I felt that through his word. I felt that, and it changed everything. It changed my perception. And I went from making a lot of money into working at Wendy's, <laughs> but having the joy of the Lord, getting cussed out through the drive-thru <laughs> for getting orders wrong, making $89 a week 
but so happy, mm. so free. So that love that I received from Christ, that free gift that I was able to, to enjoy, to unwrap, it changed my view on everything. And so I, it doesn't mean that I didn't have struggles still and that I didn't have to learn and I still had to go through counseling and I still had to make decisions, right? And learn how to make good decisions and be responsible and accountable. But what it meant was my view was no longer cynical. Right. I, I didn't struggle. I struggled in certain ways, but certain ways I didn't mm. because I began to know who I was and I began to realize that I did not need to operate the way that I was operating. And forgiveness was a huge piece because I had to forgive myself. I had to forgive my father because I blamed myself for everything that happened to me because I said, well, if I never would have left home. And then I would say, well, but what would my dad have ever made good on that promise? And so I was conflicted between those two things. So I had to forgive my father, which took a while. It took a while to forgive him for that. But I did. And when I was able to forgive him, it was another layer of freedom for myself. Mm -hmm. I had to forgive everyone who misused and abused me, the people who knew my age and the people who didn't. And that took a lot. And so I'm saying all of this. It didn't all happen in one month. You know, it took really years and lots of seeking God and lots of layers of forgiveness to get to a point to where I said, okay, I can trust you, God, that Mm. all of these things that happened, you didn't do this to me. Right. The fall of mankind might have contributed. Absolutely. Sin contributed. But this was the devil's plan, not God's plan for my life. And God reached out his hand to bring you back into his. Exactly. And he showed me that he was with me all along. Mm -hmm. All along. But I have to say that even though a lot bad happened to me, I also got to a point to where my heart hardened and I made choices out of a hardened heart and out of rebellion towards God. That gave me a whole nother set of consequences. And so although bad happened to me, I also became and personified this corruption, right? right? And so at the depths and my very lowest points, I began to enjoy evil. And so when God came and he rescued me out of that situation, he showed me how to enjoy his peace, mm. how to enjoy good, how to not try to be the baddest girl on the block, <laughs> how to not have this hardcore persona, but mm-hmm. how to be the woman he's created me to be, how to be one of Sarah, Sarah's daughters, right. how to be someone who seeks after him with all of my heart. And I never did that perfectly, not doing it perfectly now. But I do have a place that I can rest. Right. And and I think that's that just hits home to everyone, myself, everyone that's listening. Because what we realize is that where we place our identity shapes the way we live our life. Yes. So you you know, you're in Atlanta, you think you're you think you're bad and you're like, Oh, I'm baddest chick on the block. I'm in music videos at this point. Yeah. And I'm like, what, who could say anything to me? But, but you were but you were empty. Empty. Empty and doing things that weren't reflective that you even wanted to be doing. You said it disgusted you. Right. And then when you place your identity back in Christ, that's when you felt the joy, the peace yes. that passes all understanding. Yes. And that's that's why we're even doing this podcast is right. because we need to as as members of this corrupt culture that we live in that's going to try to pull us away. 
we have to be so rooted in our identity in Christ right. that when we face these trials, these temptations, these storms, because they're tempting. Yes. Temptations are what they say. That right. Temptations are tempting. That might sound very generic, but that's the truth. And if we're not rooted in something much bigger than ourselves, and that's the love of Christ. Yes. Then we're going to be finding ourselves running after the wrong things. So, Kia, I'm so thankful that you shared all this stuff. And I want to get to one final question. If one girl was just listening right now and they only heard this next little snippet, what advice would you give to a young girl that's having identity confusion? I'm not even going to say it's an issue. It's that they haven't, they're trying to figure out who they are. Like, Like you were when you ran away. You were trying to figure out which way to go. What would your advice be to that girl? Number one, find out who you are in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, find him. Hmm. Be found by him. Because eternity has been written in our hearts by God. And so there is a question that every human being has, and that is, who am I and why am I here? Mm -hmm. So once you find out who you are and who you belong to, the fact that you were created it means that there is a purpose for your life beyond your parents giving you birth, giving birth to you. There is a purpose in, until you find out that purpose, you will never be satisfied. No amount of degrees, no amount of accolades, no thing that you can do will ever give you fulfillment until you know who you are. Because once you know who you are and you know your purpose, then you can begin to make decisions in that vein. And then you will find fulfillment. Your fulfillment may be that because of I feel and, and strongly believe that we have a purpose in Christ and our purpose number one is to glorify him mm-hmm. but we have a purpose in Christ like we are made and created for specific things and I'm not just talking about giftings I'm talking about the world at large is 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 belly aching and screaming out for salvation and that salvation has already been paid for and we are agents to bring people in and to show them the love of Christ so that they can do what we are all created to do in his kingdom. And that's on earth as it is in heaven. The it's, great commission, right? It is the great commission. And it is no joke. It's very serious. There are hurting people all around us. We just left Giving Tuesday. Well, you're giving. Um, the world is giving and trying to solve problems based on sin, mm-hmm. based on what happen as a result of the fall and so now our purpose is to do what get back to the garden of eden so to speak right Right. it is to live in that place we're in the presence of god consistently Mm -hmm. right and i believe that what we're created to do until we find out whose we are we'll never have a true identity Mm. we might have titles and monikers that tell us what we've done and accomplished or what we've been through and what we're hurting from, but we will never have true identity until we understand whose we are. And so I would say, find out who you are. And who you are is not independent of God. One of the things that you said right there is, that's impactful, that needs to be said to those who are listening, is that identity issues aren't always something that's negatively deemed by the community, the, the culture. 
you could be placing your identity and you know you could be a 15 year old girl placing your identity and I want to go to Harvard right and then you're still left empty right? right but the world would tell you oh you're doing great yeah keep on going and I think I think what you said is so true that until we understand whose we are and why we're here right and how that shapes our life because first and foremost we are here for God and by God to to impact the world around us until either we go spend eternity with him or his son comes back whichever comes first right, right? and and there, and there's power in just you know I was sharing with you earlier in 2 Corinthians 1:4 not not quoting it here, but mm-hmm. basically the theme of the verse is that God comforts us in our times of trouble. So when yes. others are troubled, we can comfort them. Right. But that but we can't comfort others until we realize we experience the comfort of God by acknowledging who we are in Him. That's right. So we have to find who we are. We do, and and a lot of times that journey of finding who we are comes through brokenness. Mm. But the more that we know who He is, we realize He's near to the brokenhearted. Right. Those who are crushed in spirit, that means that he's present. When I was in that club and that manager told me I didn't belong there, I was crushed in spirit. Mm-hmm. And God was near to me in that moment. Yep. And he used that to draw me even closer. He used the labels that I received in Elizabeth Emergency Care Unit to draw me closer to him. I, I truly feel in that moment where I had the nervous breakdown that God was taking that world away from me to put on his mind, to put his mind on me instead. And that's exactly what happened. And so our brokenness is key to finding our identity. Right. Because it heals you, it restores you, it points you back to the cross. Because ultimately the the truth of the matter is everything points back to the cross. Right. Old Testament points to the cross, post-cross we're pointing back to the cross right. today. That's how we have to live our lives. Right. Well, Kia, I'm so glad and I'm so thankful for you just to be open and honest about your testimony and how you've found your identity in Christ. And I'm continually encouraged by the way that you're impacting those around you today, myself included. But I want you to say your book is coming out. Is. And when is that coming out? Well, I'll tell you in just a minute, but I have to say thank you for this conversation, that we're having this conversation, because what you mean to our lives is is mutually felt. Mm-hmm. But the book comes out in the end of January, <laughs> and so I'm very excited about that. That is exciting. I can't wait to read it. And I want to offer up to any of our listeners, I will personally buy an extra book, and if you reach out to us and share this podcast on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, for those of you that use Facebook diligently. If you share it, we'll do it. we're going to do a draw, and we will send you an autographed copy Absolutely. of uh, Kia's book. And I know it will just touch your heart because her, her story is so powerful. Before we leave, this is the way we're going to end every podcast. I want to ask you, the listener, all of you who are listening, How would believing the truth about your identity in Christ change the way you live? Y'all, God bless. I'm so excited just to have this opportunity to share with y'all. Reach out to us if you have any questions. You can find Kia on social media. You can find myself on social media. And we will post 
the links to those social media accounts on our Instagram page at the White Stones Movement. We thank you again for your time. Thanks for listening. And I can't wait to speak to you again on our next episode.